Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning. Summer is here. Are you excited? Well, welcome to People of Hope Church. We are diving into our summer teaching series, and it's called Unique. We're going to be looking at the attributes of God all summer long, looking at the reality that there is no one like our God, no one like him. And I believe that as we stretch our minds and increase uh, our heart's affection for the Lord by studying these attributes, we will love him more dearly, we will follow him more closely, and our lives will be more and more enriched because we've taken this summer to look at our unique God. The word unique means one of a kind. And I'm going to be working hard all summer to partner with the Holy Spirit to to really grab our hearts and expand our view of God, that we would have an exalted view of God, a a view of God that would go beyond our ability to describe, a, a, a view of God that would go beyond our ability even to comprehend that we would all together have a beautiful sense of awe and maybe a few brain cramps over the summer. As we consider our God, who is so big, so amazing, his power is phenomenal, and his love is bottomless. We're going to spend the summer looking at who our God is. So join with me this morning as we get started in this brand new series. If you've ever had the privilege to walk into one of the great cathedrals in Europe, You've you've had an experience. Let's put a couple of these images up on the screen uh, this morning. This is one of the beautiful cathedrals in Europe, just sort of the exterior. Let's look at one more. Um, This is Il Duomo in Florence, a phenomenal uh, structure built to the glory of God. These weren't just made to to show off their fineries. This wasn't just made to impress other people in the next town, say, hey, look at our church, it's massive. Uh, This was done to the glory of God for a reason. Look at the next slide. Because when you come into these places, they were built to give you a, a reaction. They were built to lead you to a reaction. They were built to elicit awe, A-W-E. Your jaw would drop a little. And when you walk into these spaces, you would look up because you are suddenly in a place way bigger than you'd ever been in before. Imagine many of these places were begun in the 1100s and 1200s and 1300s. And as they were finished, there was no other structure with inside that could even come close to this. Nobody's home was multi-story to this dimension. Nobody experienced a, a high-rise building uh, ever before. This was an jaw-dropping experience. Let's look at the next slide. You would come into these places and it would just cause you to move into a posture of reverence in your heart. It would make you feel appropriately small. And it would force you to look up. And if you've ever been into these places, you can't help it, but you feel like you should what? Whisper. Because you're in a unique place. Let's look at another one here. This 
beautiful, amazing places built to the glory of God. The idea in the builders was our God is amazing and he's huge and he's beyond our comprehension. So the places we gather ought to lead us to view God like this. For many of us in the church, we have lost a lot of our sense of awe related to God. We've become far too casual about who God is. We feel more buddy with God than on our knees revering God. And we are never to tremble and cower from God in fear, but we are also never to lose our fearful reverence of God. I love these buildings because they lead you, let's go look at the next slide, they lead you to think about the majesty and the beauty and the power of God. If you walk into those cathedrals, it reminds you that our God is absolutely great and absolutely good. And we want to construct our own cathedral this summer of these attributes of God that cause us to look up in awe, to have reverence in our hearts, and to almost feel like we need to whisper when we realize that's who God is. And he loves me. And he knows me. And he cares about my life. This morning, I want us to start out the first part of this series with three attributes of God. I'm going to give you three descriptors of God, and we'll walk through these together. Number one is, He is incomprehensible. He is incomprehensible. Everybody say, incomprehensible. Ready to go. Incomprehensible. It's there on your screen. It means that He cannot be fully known or fully explored. Yes, we can describe what God is like. Yes, we can talk about God, how he has revealed himself in his word and in other places, but you cannot ever fully explore God. In ancient days, they would determine the depth of a sea by measuring a fathom. Even in modern days, they talk about fathoms in naval situations and and how deep the the waters are and you're coming near the shore and all those things. And one of the ancient ways that they would determine the depth way before sonar and all those things is they would take a sounding and they would take a long rope that was weighted and they would drop it over the edge of the boat and they would send it down and it may have knots every three feet or every 10 feet and they would drop it down and drop it down and drop it down and because of the weight, it would eventually hit the bottom And they would count the knots, and they would determine how deep it was. We hit bottom. We found the bottom. The idea that God is incomprehensible is that he has no bottom. You cannot find the end of where God is. You cannot fully explore. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The knowledge of the holy that a lot of us are reading this summer, he uses the word measureless. God is measureless. It cannot be fully described. There's another great English word that's ineffable. I love that word. God is ineffable, and that means that he is incapable of being fully expressed or fully described. 
You cannot come up with enough adjectives. You cannot come up with a big enough word. If you say that God is big, that doesn't do it justice. If you say that God is glorious, that doesn't even do it justice. You could pile on all the adjectives and all the thesaurus, thesauri? Yeah, let's go there. Thesauri all over the planet, and you cannot come up with enough descriptors to fully capture the bigness and beauty of God. He is incomprehensible. We go into scripture and the closest thing we can get to is the word like. God is like this. God is sort of like that. Look in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 1. It'll come up on your screen here um, in a moment. But let's look at this passage together starting in verse 12. Revelation chapter 1. Here you have the Apostle John who is caught up into heaven, and this revelation is what he has written down. He was instructed to write it down for us, became part of the scriptures, the revelation of John, which is this picture that's being painted of what's going on in the heavens. Verse 12, and John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So hold on a minute. He recognized those. Oh, that, that's a lampstand. I've seen a lampstand before. That's a lampstand. And one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, seven. There's seven. Those are lampstands. But keep going. Seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands lamp was someone, what does it say? Like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp a double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. All those times you see in that passage, John is like, I am seeing something other. Theologians use that term other to describe God. You can't just see, say that he's the strongest man or the most intelligent man. God is spirit. He is something other than human. God is absolutely beyond our ability to fully comprehend like is as often as close as we can get. There's another theological term that's mystery. Have you heard that term before? When theologians are trying to describe aspects of God and aspects of salvation and aspects of his grace and aspects of, of, of how the world is gonna get wrapped up and creation will come to an end and what the new heaven and new earth is like, they will often come to the end of what scripture gives in detail and they will sort of fill in the rest with this word. The rest is a mystery. We, we don't have the words, we don't have the details, we don't have the understanding of this. And friends, the reason we're doing this series this summer 
is that you and I would be better worshipers if our picture of God expanded into the realm of mystery. Where we began to think, well, well, is he, is he bigger than a house? <laughs> yes. Is he bigger than, than, uh, than a state? Yes. If it would just expand, 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 expand. To the point where you're like, I'm running out of descriptions. I'm running out of measurements. I'm, I'm getting to the place where you can't even quantify distance and scale. Yes, you're getting close. For our God is measureless. He cannot be fathomed to find the bottoms. He cannot be measured to find an edge because our God is edgeless. Letter B, the second one I want you to see this morning is that not only is it God incomprehensible, but God is eternal. God is eternal. He has always been. He has no beginning or end. And he was not made or created. Let's look at some scriptures together. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 14. God is talking to Moses there at the burning bush moment. And God said to him, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that phrase, I am who I am, is an English translation of a very, very, very um, hefty truth about God, and the grammar is not really easily translated into English. Basically, the grammar, uh, the true English translation is, I be. I am. Not without boundaries. <laughs> I have no boundaries. <laughs> I, I just am. I, I am everywhere, am. I be. Beware, yes, everywhere, there, everywhere. I am, the I am. Uncontainable, immeasurable, but I'm the I am without beginning and without end. Another scripture passage in, in Revelation chapter four, verse eight. You guys have heard this descriptor before, another passage from John's experience. He says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. God is beyond our experience or reality of time. Where God is, is past, present, and future all at the same time. Time is a human concept. Let me tell you who God is. He's always been. He is always being. And he always will be. You're like, I, I don't, I, I, I'm kind of tilted my head a little bit. I don't, yes, we're getting close. Who was, who is, who is to come. Who was, how far back, just was, I be. Who is, like where, Not everywhere, simultaneously, perfectly. To come, is to come, how far down, yes. I will be and keep on being. Our God is eternal. 
We have one more passage to look at here. Look what it says in chapter 22, verse 13. Wrapping up the book, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is saying, I am the bookends of everything you understand as creation. In an infinite line, God has no start-stop. God has no beginning-end. He was, he is, he will be. And as God is eternal, you and I realize he is uncreated, as Tozer would say. Nobody made God. He has always been. When the universe was created and formed, God had always been. Go back, go back into far, as far as always will let you go in your brain. God had always been. God had been always from there. Time is above the concept of our God as he reveals himself. He's the beginning, he's the end. He was, he is, he is to come. Our God is uncreated and he's eternal. Anybody else feeling a little bit of a wow this morning? Our God is bigger than we often think about. And he does not live in a cathedral. He does not live in a building. Our God is everywhere. The third one I want you to see this morning is that God is knowable. God is knowable. And this is the beauty of God's grace toward us. And this is the power of our opportunity to know the God, the great incomprehensible, eternal God, he can be known. Can he be fully known and explored? No. But there is a way for, for us to understand some of who God is, and there is a way for us to have a relationship with God. This is a miracle that you and I, lowly as we are, could understand and know God. God's revealed himself to us. I'm going to show you three ways that God's revealed himself to us this morning. They are through creation, through scripture, and through Jesus. God has revealed himself through creation, revealed himself through scripture, and revealed himself through Jesus. Let's pick those apart just for a moment. Let's talk about the fact that God is knowable because he has revealed himself through creation. Look at Revelation 1, Verses 18 to 20, and it'll come up on your screen for you here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is what? Plain to them. It can be observed because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God 
has revealed himself to the world through the creation. Let's talk about the scripture. In the scriptures, we can learn about God's character and about God's nature. Think about God's nature that you see over and over and over again in the scripture. We see that God is three in one. God is Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that is true about God. We see that God is a father. God reveals himself to us in a relationship as a father. The fatherhood of God is a biblical concept. God reveals his nature as a father through the scriptures. It's how we know that he's a father. It's from the Bible. We understand his nature as creator from the Bible. Genesis 1 to 1 begins to tell us that in the beginning, God created. He's a creator. We learn that from the scripture. We see in the Bible that he is a judge. We know that he has judged. We know that he's going to judge. We know that that's a part of his nature. And we also see in the Bible that he is sovereign completely free, with no rival, absolute supreme in authority and rule. The Bible tells us that. So just in those few descriptors, and by the way, the Bible tells us many, 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 many more, but in the Bible, we learn about the nature of God, and it is God's kindness that he has given us this book, and we can turn the pages or scroll the app anytime we want to, and we can see truth after truth after truth after truth about what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, the creation will tell you. See a sunset, see a massive waterfall or the Grand Canyon, you see the beauty of a newborn baby, you see a million other things that you could describe in the creation. That's how you know what God's like, but you can go to the Bible and you can learn about his nature, Trinitarian, a father, a creator, a judge, and a sovereign, but we can also learn about his character. The Bible tells us about his character. The scriptures reveal God's character. Our God is not only great, our God is what? Good. His mercy, his kindness, his gentleness. I love how Jesus tells us if your son asks you for some bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If your son asks, him, asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. If, if your son asks you those good gifts and you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? Our God is not cruel. Our God is generous. Amen? And the Bible tells us that. So anytime you want to flip through the pages, you can know what God is like. Anytime you want to scroll through the app, you can know what God is like because he is knowable. You can find how he has revealed himself through the scriptures, his character and his nature. I challenge you, friends, that you would build your understanding of God off of what the Bible says and not simply off of philosophy, 
Philosophy is when someone stands back and goes, as a group of academics or as a group of thinkers, here is what we suppose God is like. Nope. We live by the word of God. We try to find and, and make sure our beliefs are anchored in the scriptures. Amen? But this is more close to home and more important. God is not a collection of my preferences. God is not assembled from my own wishes. I can't edit the character of God. I cannot delete portions of his nature. Well, I wish he weren't so serious about that. I wish he would kind of ease up on this over here. I wish he wasn't so much that. I wish this wasn't true. We must take God for who the Bible says he is. And one of the reasons we're in this series this summer, friends, is that all of us can easily slide into having a picture of God in our heart and minds, a picture that fits our rationalizations, our love of sin, and our desire to go our own way. Let's be people of the book, who love the God of the Bible. Amen? Praise the Lord. He is knowable. The one whose depths cannot be fathomed, the one who was and is and is to come can be known. You can have a relationship with God. That brings me to the third little way that God reveals himself and how he's knowable is through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Let's look at these scripture passages together. In the book of John, chapter one, you see, in the beginning was the word. It's talking about Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. It was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God, which leads us to the next passage of scripture. It says here in John 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What is God like? Study the life and words and ways of Jesus. How can this eternal, measureless God be known intimately? Through a relationship with his son, Jesus. The miracle of salvation comes to us when we never deserved it. We can look on Jesus and get a sense of, for who God is. 
A couple more scripture passages. Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The word image there is the Greek word icon. It's like when you see the little swoosh on the side of a shoe, you know what brand that is. It's what? Nike. That instant recognition. A swoosh is Nike. The apple is Apple. When you see Jesus, this is the exact representation of God. God is knowable through Jesus. One more passage of the scripture, Hebrews 1. I love this passage. Verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, he has revealed himself, by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Oh, friends, I have great news for you this morning. The absolute eternal was and is and is to be God, who cannot be fathomed, who cannot be measured, can be known through Jesus Christ. How did God make this possible? Because you and I didn't deserve it. We have sinned against God. Every single one of us has sinned against him. Every single one of us has at some point said, no, God, I'm going to disregard what you've said is right. I'm going to disregard what you've said is the way to go. I'm going to do my own thing. Every single one of us has sinned. And therefore, our opportunity to know God was ruined by our sin. But God, in his great love for us, sent his son, Jesus, We have a symbol of a cross in our church, and Lord willing, we always will, to remind us that this cross, this is where the love and kindness of God met in the form of the justice of God in order to make a way for our forgiveness and our salvation. You see, on the cross, Jesus died, not as a victim of the Romans or the Jewish leaders, but he willingly gave himself up as a sacrifice for the guilt of your sins and for my sins. The cross was never plan B or plan C. The cross was always plan A. Jesus came to the earth on a mission to give his life to pay what you could not pay so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a relationship with God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, wow, my heart is beating fast because I'm freshly reminded that this world didn't just happen accidentally, but there is a God, one true God who made all things. And you want to know this God. You want to be in a relationship with God. The way you come to a relationship with the eternal God is by asking him to forgive your sins. And you become a disciple of Jesus. You believe in him and what he accomplished in his sacrifice on the cross and his victory because he didn't stay dead, amen? He rose from the dead three days later. And in that moment, God comes to you and to me and he makes this offer. If you will believe that Jesus paid for your sins and if you'll follow him and become his disciple, all of your offenses against God will be wiped clean 
and you can have the promise of eternal life. You can become a son or a daughter of God and God will come to dwell in you. You can know the God. So my question for you this morning is, have you done that? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you become a disciple of Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you taken the opportunity to have a relationship with the God? If you haven't, do it today. You don't have to have a magic set of words, but just to tell God that you're sorry for sinning. Ask him to forgive your sins. And tell him, thank him for Jesus dying and rising. And tell him you want to be a disciple of Jesus. And that simple faith will wipe your sins clean and will instantaneously give you an eternal relationship with God. How can that be? It's the love of God. It's the kindness of God that we call his grace. Our God is incomprehensible. Our God is eternal. But amazingly, our God is knowable. Primarily through Jesus. Why in the world are we doing this study? Why do we need an exalted view of God? Why do we need a high view of God? Why do we need more awe? Why do we need more jaw drop? Why do we need more I feel low because he is so high? I feel small because he is so measurelessly massive. Why do we need that? I want to conclude this morning with four reasons why. Number one, when we have a high view of God, the temporary things of earth steal less of our devotion. When we have a high view of God, we remember what really matters. We remember what's going on. We remember that, that compared to the majesty of God, all of the sparkly stuff of earth and all of its false promises, why in the world are we wasting so much devotion on the temporary stuff of earth? We were made for more, amen? Amen. Number two, when we have a high view of God, we develop reverence and our worship is more pure. Our worship is more pure. When there is reverence going on in your heart, when you, reverence means you recognize that you are in the presence of authority and greatness. Reverence means that you are aware of how you're behaving because of who's in the room. And when you have reverence in your heart, your worship is more pure. You are never just going through the motions with arms folded, mumbling the words on the screen. When there's genuine reverence in your heart, your worship is a response to who God is and what he has done. When you have a high view of God, your worship is more 
pure. And sometimes in the busyness of our lives, in the craziness of a Sunday morning, in the conversations we had in the hallway, in the moments we had with our family on the ride over, sometimes it might be beneficial to come and grab a seat and put your head down and not talk to anybody so that you can declare your intentions to the Almighty. You can lock in on His greatness and His goodness and His majesty, and you can make sure that reverence is in your heart before worship is attempted. Because there are people who sing all the songs and they're not worshiping. There are people who are in the building every Sunday and they're not worshiping. We're not a religious people, are we? We are a responding people to God. And when I'm aware of my behavior, I'm aware of my reactions, I'm aware of who I am, because of who's in the room, my worship becomes something different. My worship isn't the, the music time before the speaker. Worship isn't the warm-up. Worship isn't the, let's get through these songs. Worship is my opportunity to speak to the one who's always in the room with creative beauty in a thing called music and poetic lyrics. Reverence brings purity to our worship. And reverence comes when you have a high view of God. Makes you almost want to whisper. Makes you feel appropriately small. I am in the presence of great. And I want to act accordingly. Number three, when you have a high view of God, we have proper perspective on ourselves. When we have a high view of God, we have proper perspective on ourselves. Sometimes we can think more of ourselves than we should. Sometimes we are far too self-sufficient because we think we got it covered. We got it. I can figure it out. I can solve it. I can talk my way out of it. I can think my way out of it. I got the experience. I got the connections. I got the resources. And when you have a high view of God, you have proper perspective. He is high and majestic and infinitely glorious. He is the creator and I am the created. I am low. I am limited. But he's not. He is all love. And I am the loved one. So check this out. When you and I have a high view of God, we have a proper perspective on who he is and who we are. Look at this passage of scripture from Psalm 8. The psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, when I think on those things, God, I'm, I'm just my mind begins to be blown a little bit as I think about the expanse of space 
and the stars and the moon and the beauty and the brilliance and the scope of it all, I begin to think, what is mankind that you are even mindful of them? What is mankind that you even bother with us? What is mankind that you would even deal with or put up with us? What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you would care for them, for you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over your works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Proper perspective is this understanding. Why would God be so kind to me? Why would God even think of me? So look at this image that's going to come up on the screen. This is a sample image of a lot of galaxies out in space right now. <laughs> and I don't know if you've thought about the known universe or the observable universe as far out as we can see and as far out as we can send probes with big uh, telescopes and as far out as they can see. I don't know if you've thought about what a light year is lately. A light year is somewhere around, somewhere around 6 trillion miles. It's the, the distance light travels in a year. So in a year, light, when the source emits that light, it will travel 6 trillion miles in a year. That's a light year. The observable known universe right now and the picture you're looking at on the screen right now is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies. We're in our solar system in the middle of a galaxy, and this is thousands upon thousands of galaxies. The observable universe right now is estimated to be 93 billion light years wide. 93 billion light years, and each one of those light years is six trillion miles. The universe is so vast that even the best researchers, one of them was asked the question, so is there an edge to the universe? I mean, can you get to the edge and then there's just like a stop? And the, the, the best answer the researchers have, because we cannot see as far as there is stuff to see, the best answer they have is probably not. Even the researcher has the word probably in their answer. My call to you, friends, is that you would think, if this is what our God has created... How big is he? How big is he? Our creator is all-encompassing. He's massive. He's big. He's gigantic. He's so much more than the guy who bails you out through prayer. He's so much more than the guy who led you to the love of your life. He's so much more than the guy who wrote down a thing that makes you feel better on a Thursday. He's so much more. And 
then when you get to the end of the more, he's more. And when you get to the end of that more, multiply that by a few trillion times and then he's more. But that leads me to my fourth and final reason why we need a high view of God. Number four, because when we have a high view of God, we have confidence and trust in his power and goodness that he can handle anything life throws at us. Amen? When something comes against me in this life, it often looks big, doesn't it? It often looks scary. It looks intimidating. It looks like game's over. It looks like this is the end. It looks like this can't be solved. This can't be fixed. This can't be overcome. But when you have a high view of God, your trust and your confidence is elevated. Because I don't care what comes at you in this life, God is bigger. We must elevate our view of God. We must be filled with awe. We must be moved to whisper. We must be filled with reverence for God, not just in this building, but everywhere we go because he is there, the one who was and is and is to come is present in your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to lead you this morning to just express a prayer to God of gratitude. Would you thank God for allowing you to know him through Jesus? Thank him for that kindness, that undeserved kindness. Would you thank God for the scripture that teaches you about his nature and his character? Would you thank God for the beauty of the creation? The things that make you say, wow. That point to the wow of our God. Would you ask him to expand your view of God? Would you ask him to teach you what reverence is? Ask him to purify your worship so you're not just a singer of songs or an attender of meetings, but one who responds to the infinite majesty of our God. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, maybe you're facing something that looks pretty scary right now. And I don't pretend to know God's will for what's going on in your life. It may be that God will heal the situation and fix it. Or it may be that God will just give you the strength to endure it. None of us know. But just as an act of faith right now where you sit, would you say to God this thing? Would you name it in your life right now? Maybe it's a few things. What did you say, God, I believe you're bigger. And I trust you. I 
trust you. For you are good and you are kind and you are always faithful and you are full of love and you are so mighty. your prayer before the Lord, would you lock in on reverence for a moment? Would you be aware of who's in the room? I'm talking about God. Would you bow your heart low in awe of his majesty and greatness? And would you get ready to worship him right now? Because we're going to sing about his mighty power. And we don't want to go through the motions. Jesus, we have access to the throne room of eternity right now. And we are thankful. So right now, God, we bring you our song, our praise, our worship. For you are worthy. What a mighty God you are. Let's stand up and sing this together.